Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. May my words be your words to your people. And would you speak today, God, and remind us of the freedom we have in you, Jesus. In your name, amen. So we're back in Exodus, and we're going to be picking up in chapter 12, starting in verse 33 and heading through chapter 13. And today I want to talk about how God is the God of freedom. And I am indebted again to Pastor David Guzik. I've been listening to his series as we walk through Exodus, and he has just made some great points. And so I am... uh, adopting some of those and molding it and shaping it with some of my own thoughts as we just explore this passage of scripture together, which is really, really fun. So this passage, like I said, all about freedom. Finally, Israel is free. The first whole chunk of the book has been about Israel in slavery and they're groaning to God for God to free them. God answering by preparing and then sending Moses to go and confront Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh resisting Yahweh, resisting God, uh, so much so that God sends these plagues to try and bring Pharaoh around to repentance. And finally, Pharaoh has bowed to God And now because of the Passover lamb sacrifice, Israel is free to leave Egypt. Let me read chapter 12, Exodus 12, starting in verse 37. Let's start in verse 37. No, let's start in verse 33. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they let them have what they asked, and thus they plundered the Egyptians. We talked about how in some sense this is like God arranging for back pay for the slaves for all the work they've done over the years. And so um, God is preparing them for the work they'll have ahead and also preparing them financially with something, with provision. Verse 37, the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The children of Israel journeyed. They are finally on their way. Egypt is behind. The promised land is ahead. And the promise is true that God would rescue them. The journey has begun and God is bringing his freedom into their lives. And I want to ask you today, is this how you think of the Christian life? That it is a pilgrimage out of sin and into a land of freedom? Or do you think of the Christian life as a constrained kind of life? See, God's heart is for freedom, not for bondage. So they moved to Succoth, which means a place of shelter. How many of them? We get 600,000 men besides the women and children. Likely the total population was closer to 2 million that left Egypt to head for the promised land. This is a huge group of people. Now we've seen similar refugee movements in modern times, but this one is really remarkable. Remember they went in as a large nomadic family and now they've come out as a great nation. And notice this, it's a mixed multitude, verse 38 tells us. 
This is fantastic. That means that some proportion of this group that was leaving Egypt were not Israelites. They were either Egyptians or some other type of nationality. But they had said, we have seen Yahweh exalt himself. We have seen his power. We have seen his salvation. And they said, we're going to serve the true Lord, the true God. He's the one we will follow. And so they came out of Egypt alongside Israel. And this is worth pointing out. This is an early picture here that being Israel is not just about your ethnicity. And we actually, you see this picked up in Joshua in, in several places, but Joshua is a good example. In Joshua, you read about two Israelite spies who go in to investigate a city. And what's striking is that at almost every turn, they act like faithless non-believers. And in contrast with them is Rahab, who is a local Canaanite woman. And at nearly every turn, she's acting with faith in God as a faithful follower of God. And so it brings up questions. What does it actually mean to be Israel? Is it all about ethnicity? In some ways, of course it is. It begins with Abraham's bloodline and his descendants. But we see here it's beginning to grow. The people of God are beginning to grow into something much bigger and richer and greater to be a blessing to the nations, but also a blessed people of all the nations. God is, of course, going to be faithful to ethnic Israel, but his ultimate goal is for a people of all people groups. And that song that gets so easily stuck in your head, that Father Abraham had many sons and many sons had Father Abraham, I am one of them and so are you, is actually incredibly true that you and I, uh, not ethnically Israel, but we've been grafted into this family tree so that now our history is their history. This Exodus story is your family history story. And because God's plan is not just to rescue and redeem Israel, but to rescue and redeem his whole world, we can hear echoes here of what Isaiah says, that the, the glory of God, his presence is going to flood the whole world and where all the nations are going to stream into Zion. This picture of people from all over the world coming to worship God. And we see that theme again, of course, in Revelation 21 and 22. And, of course, again, you see this theme of the kind of multi-ethnic people of God uh, in what Peter struggles with in the book of Acts, where he goes to the house of the Gentile family, who are non-Israelites, and the Holy Spirit comes and fills them, and they believe in Jesus, and they're baptized in water. And Peter realizes that God's plan is not just for ethnic Israel to be saved, but to bring salvation for all people, for his whole world for all who will repent and believe and here we see that call the love of god to reach out to all people right back here at that very first moment of redemption and exodus it's a mixed multitude that leaves egypt that choose to serve and follow yahweh as their lord and so the chief question of course in all of that comes back to us we need to look in the mirror and say Am I following Jesus as my Lord and God? Who am I going to be? Who will I serve? A mixed multitude leaves. This beautiful picture of God's grace extended to all, all sorts of people. Verse 40. Verse 40 to 42. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, 
all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. This is a night of solemn observance we read about. And apparently their exit from Israel, uh, from Egypt, sorry, it begins on the very same calendar day, 430 years later from the day they'd first come into Egypt. And somehow God just likes doing that kind of thing. God likes anniversaries and significant dates and whatnot. But notice also God wanted this event to be memorialized. God wants them to get this, this sense that this is his freedom-making work. He set them free and they're not to forget it. And we might say, well, who on earth would forget this? But we'll very quickly see that they do forget God's goodness and, the, and they forget the horrible conditions of their slavery actually quite quickly. And of course, again, we need to look in the mirror and we realize um, those of us who've walked with God, we also forget how good God is uh, and that his desire is to set us free. And sometimes uh, the bondage of the past fades away and we forget just how amazing it is that God has truly saved us. And Israel needed to remember it. We need to remember it. They had a, a night that was marked. This was a celebration that was marked. And of course, the whole Feast of Unleavened Bread the Passover is uh, as marking the time, the new year marking the time. For us as Christians, there are marks that remind us of our salvation. Water baptism is one of them. And we have uh, a girl in our church who wants to be water baptized. And if you would like to be baptized in water, we're going to plan to go down to Sandy Beach uh, sometime this summer and go down and celebrate water baptism as a declaration of following Jesus, a profession of faith, but also a, a mark. It's almost like a rite of initiation. Yes, I am part of the people of God, this family. We also celebrate the Lord's Supper, which we've begun celebrating again as a church now that we're regathering since COVID is, is uh, all the you know restrictions and everything with the coronavirus. And now we're regathering again. It's been very, very good. And I encourage you to come if you're able, but we've been able to celebrate the Lord's Supper together as a recalling of our freedom, as a remembrance of our uh, salvation. We are out of Egypt. We're out of the sin of Egypt. We're out of death. We are now in Christ. And we celebrate that at the bath and at the table. So it's a, it's a night to remember. God wants them to remember this. And I encourage you to remind yourself of what God has done in your life. Now, let's read verse 43 to 50. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner, foreigner shall eat of it, but every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or hired worker may eat it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house. You shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger shall, shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. All the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. So if you were going to be part of celebrating Passover, here's basically the gist of it. You had to join yourself into that community of covenant with God. 
If you're going to feast on the Passover lamb, as we might say, if you're going to be part of a loving Jesus, who our Passover lamb, who sacrificed on the cross for us, when we trust in Jesus and who he is and what he did for us, we are sharing in his sacrifice. If you're going to be part of the community of the lamb, uh, you need to join yourself into community and part, be part of the body of Christ. Here, people are, are meant to participate in the Passover meal, which marks them as God's people, but they're meant to do it in community together. And in the same way as believers who have, uh, if you're a Christian and you have received Jesus as your savior, you have said yes to his Passover sacrifice for you that covers your sins and atones you of your sins and you've repented and believed, then we too are called to become part of the family, part of the community, part of the church. And here we are, not just an organization with a CEO, but a community with a small S shepherd, me, under the larger capital S shepherd, Jesus, right? We're the people of God. And the call here really for us is there's not to be your sort of lone ranger Christian. If you are in the lamb, if you are participating in the meal, as, as you might say, you're to be part of the community. And now for all sorts of reasons, there are you know, different believers who just refuse to be part of a community. And maybe they're connected in other ways to fellow Christians. And sure, that could very well be. But perhaps you know someone who is following Jesus, but they're not really connected to a community. They're not really part of the people of God in a very sort of visible, tangible way. And and rather than being judgmental or, or being guilt-ridden about that to them, maybe we are being called to reach out with love and grace and help them to become connected to a community, to a church. And God may be calling you to reach out and love them. Notice this, verse 45, no foreigner eats this meal. When, when those who are outside of Israel come and they want to eat the meal, they want to become part of the people of God, they want to eat the Passover supper, they are no longer foreigners, they become family. And that's what the circumcision bit is all about. Verse 46, it shall be eaten in one house, you shall not take any of the flesh outside the house, you shall not break any of its bones. And again, this reminds us of Jesus, none of his bones were broken in his crucifixion and suffering. Verse 47, all the congregation of Israel shall keep it. Basically, you can't be part of this group truly and keep rejecting the lamb. You can't be part of a church. You know, you can, you can be part of a church community and that's wonderful. Love our church family. It's great. I love when new people come uh, and, when, and when they get connected. But the great desire is not just for you to be connected tangentially and just for fellowship's sake to a church community, but for you to receive Jesus and to receive the Passover lamb, we might say, that you have given your life and your heart to him, that he is now your Lord and Savior and that you would be his disciple. And so, yes, it's wonderful when there are people that come to church and we love that you're here and maybe you're listening today and you're just sort of an outsider, but we, you know, we love that you're part of the family and you are part of the family, but our great desire is that you would come and also participate in the life of Jesus. Give yourself to him, confess your sins and be made whole in him. We can't really be part of the church and keep rejecting Jesus. At some point you have to embrace him. And if you're going to continue in this life together, all the congregation keeps this meal. And in the same way, when we gather for worship, we gather for fellowship. Yes, but we gather together because of our shared life in Jesus.
Now look at verse 51. 50 and 51. All the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. Verse 51. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. So God called them to do something. And amazingly, they actually do it. <laughs> it's wonderful. Freedom is wonderful. They are in it now. But here's the thing about freedom. Freedom is wonderful, but freedom can also be terrifying. And I want to tell you the story about uh, my kids and our fence. Um, when our kids run outside and we let them go outside, there is a freedom. They start running around and it is awesome. You know, they're all over stuff. They're face first down slides and into mud and spraying things off. And you know, it's slightly chaotic sometimes, but it's freedom. And sometimes that freedom is wonderful because they're exploring and they're curious and they're discovering things and they're, you know, getting their hands dirty and watering tomatoes and all the rest of it. But an unbridled freedom is actually deadly. And we discovered that, especially with Noah, because he will take off around the house and start running out to the street. He's ready to go for a walk and he decides, I'm going to go down the sidewalk on my own. And of course, there's cars going by and all those sorts of things. So we built a fence. We, we uh, Nick Wurstler and Sons built the fence for us and it just did a fantastic job. We're just so thankful for them. They built the fence and now the kids have freedom, but they have freedom within these bounds, okay? And the bounds are going to be like the freedom we have even in living with God's commands, God's, God's guidance, God's presence in our lives, God's instruction, God's word is like that fence. It actually keeps us to be truly free. And without his word, we're actually, there's a freedom, but it's actually can also be deadly because we can head towards destruction. And so God's words, we may, you know, we may think, I don't need God, I just want to be free, but it actually leaves us wide open to destruction. And actually, since putting up the fence, our children are free, but they're also properly in the bounds of life-giving love, right? They're actually free to enjoy the space of their freedom even more. It's not just trying to get away, they're trying to enjoy what they actually have. And it's created new areas for us to play and to sit and plant vegetables. And God's law is like that in his freedom with his word uh, actually fosters new life for us. And we're going to see here for Israel their freedom is wonderful. They're out of Egypt. They're out of their bondage and their slavery. But that freedom now brings the challenge of learning to trust God and to be responsible with their freedom uh, in how they're going to walk their freedom out. And God was going to work this out in and through them. It's going to be, it's going to be difficult. Look at uh, verses 1 and 2. Chapter 13, so God's released them. End of chapter 12, they're free. And now chapter 13, the Lord said to Moses, consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever's the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast is mine. So we get, we're free. And then God said, yep. And now here's the rules. Here's the bounds. Here's the fence. Here's the place where you are called to live and to be fostered in life and relationship. It, it's, it's not freedom just for freedom's sake, God says, consecrate to me. And this whole idea here of firstborn, the idea is the firstborn belongs to God. But it actually worked this way. All of, all of Israel belongs to God, right? Not just the firstborn, yet God received the firstborn as a pledge and dedication of the whole. And this is God's pattern in all sorts of things, right? Uh, all of the week, 
belongs to God, but we take one day out of the whole to dedicate the whole week to him. All that you have belongs to God, but you may give, uh, in the Old Testament, the, the idea was give a tenth of your income. And, and I do hope you give of your resources, of your time and your treasures and your, your, your abilities. Your, you know, uh, one tenth is a great measurement under the new covenant. That's, that's much more open. We can be generous. There's a freedom to give, but don't think for a moment that just because you gave God 10% of your income, that the other 90% is somehow yours. No, no, it's all God's, but we give a portion as a consecration of the whole. And in this way, all of Israel is God's, but we dedicate the firstborn in a special way. But here's the key, folks. As soon as God gave them freedom, he started to tell them what to do. He didn't set them free in order for them to do whatever they wanted. It's not, okay, you're free. And now everyone runs out the door and they go out to play on the street. No, no, no. You are free to follow God and you are free to enter into relationship with him. Uh, the goal is not maximum individual freedom. If that was true, this story would be about Israel freeing themselves, which it's not. That's not what happens. But God has set them free to be a people unto him. And there are here, and now God says, here's how you're to live. Here's the healthy fences around the yard of God's freedom to keep you healthy and alive and, and in relationship with God. Now let's read verses uh, 3 to 7. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came from Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today in the month of Abib you are to go out, and when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. So the purity of the bread is a reminder uh, of the remembrance of Passover. And again, it's only after we receive Jesus, our Passover lamb, his sacrifice on the cross, that we're then called to walk into a new life. And that's what this is about, living a life of purity, eating the unleavened bread as a reminder, as a, as a drama, a picture, something we act out together, the people would act out together, of, of leaving behind sin, leaving behind Egypt, and now eating this unleavened bread as a picture of new life. And so the unleavened bread days were not sad days. They were a feast. This was a party, a life filled with joy to live for God. Verse 8 and 10. You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you as a sign of, on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. So God wants this to be a constant memory and constantly before their eyes as a people that they are so aware and they are so living in the freedom that he has given them and notice how this is to be individually understood and appropriated uh individual saying this is me god led me out of this tell your son tell your son the lord led you out of egypt and now verses 11 to 16 i uh this section is about the firstborn uh, again, marking the firstborn. 
When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you, and your fathers, and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb, the firstborn of the animals, that are males, shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. Or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Whoa! Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And when in time to come your son asks you, what does it mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrificed to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes. For by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt. God said he would bring them in and they are to honor him by sacrificing the firstborn. Now, some of those animals would be unclean animals, so you wouldn't sacrifice those. And some would be people who would open the womb and you definitely wouldn't sacrifice them. God is totally 100% against human sacrifice. God never wants a human sacrifice. And so we don't sacrifice them, but we redeem them with a substitute to mark this dedication to the Lord. It's a way of showing the dedication of who we are and what we have as gods. We mark with a substitute. Verse 17 and 18. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Notice what it says in verse 17. God did not lead them by way of Philistia, though that was near. So here's the thing. God has led them out of Egypt. And there's actually like a good, efficient road that goes from Egypt to Canaan. And there'd be traders and facilities. And, you know, it would be great for two million people to cruise on through there. And, you know, why not? Let's use the nice road. And God says, no, no. Because there were more than likely Egyptian military outposts along that way. And he knew they were not yet ready for encountering battle like that. And so he takes them east and south. It would have been easy to take the road. It would have made a lot of sense. It would have been very efficient. But the dangers were too great. Even though the people perhaps could not see the dangers. And can we just say that sometimes we might wonder why God doesn't lead us on a certain path in life when it seems so much more obvious to us that it should have been a different way, that the way we imagined was better? And can we maybe just appreciate that there may be untold dangers along the way that you never saw and would not have been ready for and God led you around those? You know, God won't allow them to be tested beyond what they're able in this instance. And I like what John Trapp says. He said, God so orders the matter so that evils are not ready for us until we are ready for them. So God chooses to take them by way of the wilderness to the Red Sea. We're not taking the nice easy road, but it is God's road, God's path, and it's good for Israel. So God right away is guiding them. He's shaping them in their freedom. It may not be the efficient road. Christ growing in you, you know, Christ changing your heart, the character of Christ growing within you may not be a road of efficiency. It may actually take time. Um, and this is so important for us. Sometimes as followers of Christ, we think, you know, Jesus has set me free, but God, don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me how to live. 
But no, no, God brought them out of Egypt. God has brought you out of Egypt. And he has the authority now to guide you in freedom, to navigate your life. Verse 19, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you. You shall carry up my bones up from here. And this is just a great act of faith. Joseph had asked that his bones be taken when they left the land. Joseph knew a day would come to pass when they would be able to leave. And he had believed that God would bring that about. And now here we are 400 years later. Uh, that's coming to pass. Wow. And then our last point is this very end part, verses 20 and 22. Right after the part with Joseph. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from the people of God, from before the people, sorry. And imagine for a second, just let that image sort of run in your mind. You know, this is, this is real. This was the pillar of fire and cloud that all through their wilderness wandering, starting here, this was a demonstration of God's dramatic presence with them, this constant assurance that he was with them. The fire and cloud were like a, like uh, a sun and a shield for them, right? And Psalm 105, 39 talks about your cloud as a covering, fire for a light at night. And so this is not just to show that God is with them, but it actually does some good. And I can imagine, you know, the cloud helping to block the sun or the fire bringing heat and light at nighttime. And this would actually move and guide them. This is the the living presence of God that they could follow. And, uh, you know, follow God and he will give you guidance, protection by the day and provision, light and heat at night. And, and you know, we may be tempted to think, uh, like, man, if I was there and I saw that, that would be, you know, I would never doubt again. That would be brilliant. Um, I need that sort of a sign to know that God is with me. Um, it, you know, it just really help. <laughs> um, if only that had happened, then I'd really believe. And, you know, we have to ask, well, you know, did Israel ever doubt again? And of course they did. And are we really so different from them? Uh, you know, sometimes we might think, God, I just, I need an extreme kind of revelation of your care and your love for me. And, you know, I just need you to give me this really assuring sign. But God has already given you that gift in Jesus. Jesus is the, is the sign of his assurance and his love and his grace towards you. And it's the ultimate demonstration of his love that the cross is the ultimate demonstration of God's love, the assurance of his love for you and the presence of the Holy Spirit, which is the sign poured out upon the people of God is sort of the, the seal, the, 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 the promise, the assurance of his life in us. So just to wrap this up, this is all in my mind is so much about freedom, this glorious freedom, freedom to live for God, to walk in purity out of sin and to enter into new life, to know God's presence and friends in Jesus Christ, that sense of freedom that Israel was experiencing here is just as real for you and for me, that we in Christ can come out of our sin, out of our death and into God's new abundant life. Jesus died on the cross 
so we could be free, not just free to do our own thing, but free to actually love him and know him, free to live for him, free to understand that his rules and his guidance in our life is to keep us, just like that fence keeping my boys in the yard, it's to keep us in the freedom that we enjoy together. The other thing that I just want to emphasize is, is several times in this passage, verse 3, 9, 14, 16, we, it talks about God's strong hand leading them. And I want to mention today that God's hand of freedom is extended to you. He is reaching out to you and you can reach out and draw near to God. And God's strong hand is greater than any adversary or addiction or sinful habit or fear or anxiety that you might be facing right now in your life. Those things are not as strong as the strong hand of God. And God extends his hand to you. It's mightier than all the other things in life. And we need to, to reach out and allow him to take hold of us. I was thinking about uh, in, in verse 13, just as we wrap this up, I was talking about consecrating the firstborn for God as a, as a sign, a remembrance that all of them are God's. This idea of the lamb being sacrificed on behalf of another so we can live. And, you know, that's, that's us. We can live because the capital L lamb sacrificed his life for you and for me. And so I encourage you friends today to come to Jesus and step into the freedom and life and salvation that God has for you. And if that's you today and you've never made that commitment, I'd like you to just pray with me now. And maybe you're a Christian, you followed God for a long time, but you feel far from the freedom and life that he has for us. Would you just pray with me? Lord, today we are blessed and we are so thankful for the freedom that we have in you. Jesus, thank you that you went to the cross to take our place, to die for our sin, so that we can walk in freedom, just like Israel walking into freedom out of Egypt. Lord, thank you that you don't just abandon us, to our own devices, uh, but you call us to live in relationship with you. And Lord, today there may be someone listening who's never done that and they feel very lost. They don't feel free. And if that's you, I would just encourage you to pray with me. Lord Jesus, I want to be free in you. I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for the things I've done in my life that, uh, that have not been good that I've done against you. Lord, I repent of my sin. I choose to believe in you today, Jesus, and I choose to reach out my hand and to be embraced by you. I want to walk in newness of life. And if that's you today, and you've prayed that prayer, that means that you are now part of God's family. He comes and he brings his freedom and his healing and his forgiveness. And now you're beginning that journey of learning to walk with God. I encourage you to talk to someone. Get a hold of one of us here at the church, one of the pastors, and we'd love to encourage you and walk with you as a disciple of Jesus. Maybe you have been following God for a long time, but you feel lost in something or broken or fearful. You don't feel like you know that freedom. And, and so I'd like to lead you in prayer today. We just say, Lord, you know our hearts. You know our desire to live for you, and you know sometimes the, the pressures, the worries, the evil, the sin in our world uh, weighs us down. We give in to it. 
We contribute to it. Jesus, today we want to walk in your freedom. And we thank you that as we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So Jesus, today would you come. Bring freedom, Lord, to your people. Bring healing, Lord, to those that need healing. Jesus, would you come and revive our hearts, draw us together in your life and in your love, and send us out, Lord, to be living witnesses of your glory and your grace in Dryden and beyond. We ask these things in your name. Amen.